1: Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series on the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul speaks to the theme of unity within the local church. That's why this series is called One. Now, everyone seems to be trying to achieve something big, but have you ever thought you climbed the wrong ladder of success? Well, come and see what God really wants for you in this beautiful thing called life. Reachingforreallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reachingforreallife.org. Today's message is called The Measure of Success, We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: Paul writes, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. He's continuing what he's been talking about, because they've been putting inordinate, inappropriate kind of weight in one leader over the other, and aligning themselves in camps. He says, no, no, you should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself. And Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us and that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favour of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? That's a really important idea. What do you have that you didn't receive? We get this pride. We get, have pride in everything. He says, stop and think about it. Stop and think about your talents, your gifts. Stop and think about your, your relationships, your, your nationality, all these things that have given us a leg up that have helped us. See. What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that we would hear what you want to say. I pray that we would hear your word today. And that he would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. He starts with this idea of how we should regard him and Apollos and other believers. He says, regard us as servants. And what's interesting is he uses a different Greek word than he had used in the last chapter because he talked about we're just servants. But he used the word diakonos there, which is an attendant, a servant, attendant, a messenger. One who is is working on the behalf of another. But in chapter 4, the word is huperitus, which means one who rows. It does mean a servant, but it's the idea of a rower. And it's these Roman galley ships where the captain would be on the deck. He would be either steering or he would be near the controls for the rudder. And he would be saying, here's where we're going. The rowers, they had no input on any of that. They literally were just rowing. And this is the word. It's a very unusual word. So when he says see us as servants, it's a good translation because they would translate it that way. But it was particularly used in this time for those servants who row. In other words, I'm just doing the work that my captain, my master, has asked me to do. And that's a, that's a little bit of a different way of thinking of that. And he's saying, you're judging us, you're judging one over the other. He says, well, we're just rowing. It's the captain who's leading the boat. It's the captain who's leading where we go and steering. And in verses 3 and 4, what I find interesting is he brings up three kinds of judgment. And I want us to think about that. Because we're all into judgment these days. We judge everything. We judge everything before evidence. We judge everything before anything. We see a video, we cast judgment. And that's what we do. And fortunately, we have social media to cast our judgments. And we can put it out there before we've had time to really think about it. Because that might change how we look at things. But he lists three types of judgment. He talks about the judgment of men. The judgment of men. Remember what he said? he said? He said, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In other words, I don't give that a whole lot of weight. Now understand something. I don't think Paul is saying that, that the judgment of other people in our lives is of no value. No, that's not true. I think sometimes we, we need to be aware of those people in our lives who care. And we need to be able to listen and grow and learn from other people. It's not without value. The cynic philosopher, Antisthenes. Antisthenes, I have a hard time every time. Just a lot of lisping in there. Antisthenes, he's quoted as saying, "There are only two people who can tell you the truth about yourself: an enemy who's lost his temper and a friend who loves you dearly. An enemy who's lost their temper and just unloads on you, but a friend who loves you dearly who tells you the truth because they love you." So there is value in the assessments and the words of other people. But he, but Paul says, "I don't let you judge me," and that's a very interesting idea. It's not the final measure. He goes on and says, even self-judgment. He says, I don't judge myself. He says, I don't know anything about, against myself. I'm doing my best. I don't know anything that I'm doing wrong intentionally. He says, but that doesn't acquit me. And this idea of self-judgment, here's what happens when we, when we spend too much time self ju- in self-judging and self-judgment. Either we beat ourselves up, we're constantly beating ourselves up, I'm not measuring up. I'm not doing enough. I'm not performing in this area. She's performing better than me. He's performing better than me. And we beat ourselves up, or the other side is pride. We get self judgment and go, oh, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it, but I'll say it. That's the problem with self judgment. And he says, Yeah, e- even though I don't know anything against myself, he says, I don't judge myself because even though I don't know anything, I'm not acquitted by that. He says, No, no, it's God who judges. And he talks about God's judgment the ultimate judge. He said, the Lord will bring to light what is really going on in the context of my actions, my attitudes, in your actions, your attitudes. It's God who's going to bring all that to light. And he's the one who's ultimately going to judge. I love Romans 14, 4, where Paul asks the question. People are judging each other for their liberties and things. He said, well, who are you to judge another's ser- another man's servant? God's going to reward him or, or punish him. God's going to bring it all to light. So, his whole point in that deal of judgment is wait a minute, God is the only one who really gets to wear the hat that says judge on it. He's the only one who can really judge. Not that we don't have ideas, not that we don't have discernment, not that we don't even share those ideas, but ultimately we don't get to cast judgment. The judge does. And he's the one. And what's interesting, what I want us to deal with today is how does God judge? Verse 2 gives us the answer. Remember what he said? Moreover, it is required. He says, He says, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful. That they be found faithful. Here's what he's trying to get across Us, See, the measure of a servant, the measure of a steward. You know what a steward is, right? A steward is one who takes care of something that is someone else's. We are children of the king. We are his creation. We have been redeemed by him. We are stewards of this life. All our stuff, we know. We come in with nothing, and we're leaving with nothing, right? Job said it very plainly. Naked I came in. Naked I'm leaving. I can't take it with me. We are stewards of the things we have. We are stewards of the relationships because people belong to God. Our children even don't belong to us. We are stewards of them until they become grown-ups, and now they answer to God and respond to God on their own. We are stewards. And he says the measure of a steward, the thing a steward must have, is he must be found faithful. So if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to write down. God never called me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. God never called me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. And i got to tell you, I've spent a lot of my life wanting to be successful. I've spent a lot of my life wanting to be successful. But you're a pastor. You should have given up on success a long time ago, Sean, please. (laughs) How could you be interested in success? It's not that funny, okay? Seriously? (laughs) you're like, oh, it's so true, though. The idea of success is that there are certain standards and measures that I want to arrive at. I want to reach certain goals. And when I reach them, I am successful. Let me tell you something about success and faithfulness because that's really what we're talking about. God never called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. They can either be the same thing or not depending on which order you put them in. Successfulness and faithfulness can be the same thing if you put your pursuit of faithfulness first. If I pursue faithfulness I will be successful. Maybe not at the things other people think I should be successful at. Maybe not even at some of the things I think I should be successful at. But I will be successful. Because that's what God measures us by. Faithfulness. If I am faithful, I will be successful in the ultimate way. I will bear good fruit. My life will bear the fruit of his kingdom. And it will be visible all around my family, my company, my job, my ministry. Whatever it is, it will bear the fruit of faithfulness. Of his presence. However, if I put success first, that's where the problem comes in, because success according to whom? That's the real question. And we get all twisted up, and you're like, well, you're, you're a pastor, Sean. You can't get confused on that. Wrong. I can get confused. I can think success is only measured in attendance. Well, COVID fixed that. I don't worry about that anymore. Look how the Lord hath prospered us. But man, it's, we pastors joke about it, you know? We, we've alliterated it, as you might suspect. Nickels and noses. How is the offering and how is the attendance? And if your offerings and your attendance are good, you're going to live another week and you're successful. But if they weren't, uh, not good. We are not immune from the same kind of things. You're like, but we're servants of God. Even anything, we, we, can, we can put numbers on anything. And I'm not saying numbers are always bad. I am not saying that the day of Pentecost, we know there were 3,000 souls saved. How do we know? They counted. Somebody counted. Okay? They had Washington, D.C. police there with estimates, crowd estimates, (laughs) and you know. No, they didn't. I just made that up. But we we know that, okay, I don't think it's bad to count. I don't think it's bad to set goals as long as you understand. Wait a minute. I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. And those are two very different things. They can be the same thing if you pursue Faithfulness first. Now, let's flip over to Matthew chapter twenty-five. I love this. There's so much truth. I'm not going to cover this story well. I've done that in other messages and covered different parts of this. But, but I, I, I've got to bring this up because it's so important. Matthew twenty-five, begin at verse nineteen. We were talking about what we call the parable of the talents. A talent was a big sum of money. The NIV translates that bags of gold. So it was a lot of money. You remember, master's going on a journey. He gives talents. To each of his servants, three servants, according to their ability, very important phrase, according to their ability to do what the master had asked, he gave them these talents. To one he gave five talents, one of five bags of gold, the NIV would say. To one he gave two, and then to another he gave just one. And well, the story goes and tells us the one who had five gets working and starts multiplying and using it and making the most of it, investing. The one who has two does exactly the same thing, goes to work. The one who has one goes and he buries it. Doesn't do anything with it. Well, we're told, and I'll begin reading here, verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and he settled accounts with them. And he who'd received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over, over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had two talents came forward. He said, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, the scripture tells us the guy with one came. And he's a little awkward and embarrassed at this moment. He's got like a dirty bag of gold that he has to get the dirt off of because he buried it. What he says is, Here, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you haven't sown. And I was afraid, so here, here's your money back. And the master looks at him and says, well, he says, if you knew I was this kind of man, which by the way, remember, the others understood the master differently and he welcomed them into his joy, enter into the joy of your master. So this unfaithful servant's assessment was wrong. He didn't even know his master. But the master looks at him and says, if you would have thought I was like that, why didn't you at least put it in the bank so I'd get interest? And he casts him out. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. And he casts him out. And he took what, that one talent, he gave it to the one who had five. And what's interesting about that in light, of our, in light of our conversation today is the commendation. The one who had five and made five more. We would call him more successful, but the master didn't. The exact same commendation for both. Well done, good and faithful servant. And he said, he, he not only commended them, but he gave them more. He said, you have been faithful over little. I'm going to make you steward over much because of faithfulness. The amount didn't matter. The guy who, went, who made two, he was given the exact same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over litter. I'm going to make you steward over much. Enter into your master's joy. See, the issue was faithfulness, not the amount, not what we would count and measure as success. It was faithfulness. See, God's never called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. I want to have us look at four things that faithfulness requires. The first thing is I have to remember who I serve. See, it goes to how I see myself. If I am seeking success, sometimes it's because I've forgotten who I serve. He never called me, asked me to to seek success. He asked me to be faithful, to work hard, but to be faithful. And I think sometimes one of the reasons I seek success so hard is I forget who I'm serving. Sometimes I want to serve myself, and I want to look good. I want to do well. I want to have more. Or maybe I'm serving other people. I want them to think I look good. I want them to know I've done well. I want them to think highly of me. And the baseline of faithfulness is remember who I serve. I serve the king, who doesn't really care all that much about my, quote, success, cares a whole lot about my faithfulness. That's who I serve. And I'm called to be a servant. You remember Jesus' disciples in Matthew 20:25, 20, Arguing about kind of who's the greatest. But Jesus called out to him, that, to him and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul said, you need to see us as servants. Jesus said, your life needs to be that of a servant. Paul, he would introduce himself as Paul, the servant or the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember who we serve And let that change how we see ourselves. I am his servant. And what's really important in that is I remember then who I report to. Because this is a big question. Because whether we admit it or not, you might be the most self-employed person in the world. You're reporting to someone. Okay? You're reporting to someone. Whether you know it or not. No, I I do my own thing. I report to me. Yeah, there's someone out there you're trying to please. There's someone out there you want to notice. There's someone out there that you are kind of jumping through some hoops for. And see, when I remember I'm his, who I report to, I remember that I serve him. See, I'll be called to serve many people in my life. Think about all the different people we're called to serve. I'm called to serve my spouse. I'm called to lay down my life for her. You're called to serve your spouse. Your kids called to serve them. Parenthood teaches you all about that. (laughs) Most people laughed. A few in the back were crying quietly. That's fine. I understand. I'll be here after called to serve my boss you know i should be a faithful employee i'm called to serve my boss my employer my customers my friends my neighbors i am called to position myself as a servant but first ultimately i serve him i report to him see this is so huge because i understand i'm not just going around serving people and doing what they want I serve him, and one of the things he's told me is the way you're going to serve me is you're going to serve other people. You are going to serve, and you are going to help my purpose and help the blessing that I want to give in people's lives. I want to use you to facilitate, facilitate that. You are going to be a servant of my purposes in people's lives. And what's fascinating is it, it deals with so many different areas. It's what I do, it's how I focus, how I think about people. I want to, I want to bless them, I want to serve them. But but not just do what they want, I want to help see God's purposes accomplished in them. And sometimes that'll be something as simple as mowing a lawn, helping fix a fence, helping fix a flat. Other times, that'll be making an invitation. That'll be bringing a word. Sometimes in the context of my close relationships, it might be helping hold someone accountable. might be having an awkward conversation. But it's not about me. It's about serving him by serving them. Do you know that changes how I handle criticism? How I deal with criticism? Because i got to tell you, when you serve people, you know, they're not always all that appreciative. People can be thankless, they can be thoughtless, they can be unfair. You've experienced that. And lest you sit too high on your high horse, you can be that too. I don't think we mean to, but I can just be thankless, I can be thoughtless, and I can be unfair. It can happen. So if I'm serving to please people and they criticize me, that wounds me deeply if i'm serving for the purpose of serving him and they criticize me it changes how i perceive that colossians 3:23 and 24 some of you this is a word for the lord a word from the lord for you you need to jot that reference down okay just colossians 3:23 and 24 says whatever you do work heartily as for the lord and not for men knowing that from the lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ. So when I am a faithful employee at work, it's not because my boss does or doesn't deserve it. It's because I'm going to serve the Lord faithfully. And that means I'm going to be an honest, I'm going to be a faithful servant at work. I'm not going to be someone who goes by and just does the the least, does the minimum. I'm going to do everything I can to serve the Lord faithfully. And that's in every area of life. Do it as unto the Lord. God never called me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. Second thing I think we're called to that this requires is to value what he values. If I'm going to be faithful to him, I have to value the things he values. Do you know what he values? You stopped and thought about that? What does God value? What's really important to him? The one who I serve, the one to whom I'm called to be faithful, do I even know what he values? My favorite is when people think it's in the Scripture. God helps those who help themselves. Some of you are like, that's not in the Scripture. It's not in the Scripture. In fact, it's the opposite of what's in the Scripture. You need to know that. Some of you right now, your world is reeling. Your whole life philosophy just got blown out of the water. God helps those who help themselves. No, that's not how it works. God helps those who trust and depend on Him. That's what the Scripture says. I'm not saying that doesn't mean you don't work. It, scripture says you should work. We should earn our bread with the work of our hands. But this idea of God helps those who help themselves, this independence, no no. He wants us to trust and be, be dependent on him, and that's the pathway to depth and to growth in the kingdom. But if you think that's what God values, you're ha- you're going to have a problem. So we have to know what does God value? Here's a few scriptures, Hosea 6.6. 6. God says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. This was to religious people who were doing the burnt offerings and the sacrifices that the religious code, the code of Old Testament redemption required. But they were missing the point. The mercy, how I show mercy. Love and compassion to other people. The acknowledgement of God. He's first in my heart. They were missing the point. This is what I desire, he said. Isaiah 58, 6 through 9. They were fasting and yet not seeing the things that they wanted to see. He gives them some, a word of instruction. Verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. See, God values that. To untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. To break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? To provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them. And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And look at the promise he gives. This is how much I value these things. He says, then your light will break forth like, like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. The things they were fasting about, going without food. They were putting on sackcloth and ashes. He says, as you do these things, your light will break forth like the dawn, your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help, and he will say, here I am. See, he's saying to them, it's not that the fasting was wrong, but fasting is designed to empty of self and connect with him. And if I'm trying to empty of self, but I'm in no way listening to him, and in, I have no intention of changing, it's like, dude, now you're just dieting. No, no, this is what I desire. See, those are the things God's values. Listen to the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, 1 through 4. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. There's a whole list of things that he values. Jesus, when asked, what's the most important commandment? Remember what he said? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, relationships, first with God, then with other people. Most important thing. That's what he values. But he talked about things like love. He values love. He values joy, peace. He values kindness. He values grace. How are we doing to give grace to one another? Compassion, honesty, integrity, truth. And one that he mentions over and over and over, humility. These are the things God values. If I'm going to be faithful to him, I have to understand what he values. And I have to value those things. And what that means, and this is so important, that means as I pursue faithfulness, my first pursuit has to be knowing him. I have to know him. You can do all the stuff. This is the moment that all of a sudden something spiritual, something dynamic happens. When we trust him enough to do what he says instead of what the world says, what the flesh says. I don't care if that, it's what the experts say. I trust him and I follow him. That's the beginning of faithfulness.
1: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. If you'd like to hear this full message in the series called One, it's available right now on demand at reachingforreallife.org. And we'd also love to hear from you on our contact us page, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road, right behind Ratama Park, right next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.